0: Hello, welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host, Samuel Davies. In this episode, we speak with James Noble, Associate Director of Data and Learning at NPC. James and I recorded this back in mid-March, marking the second anniversary of the first UK COVID pandemic lockdown. It seemed fitting, as in this episode, James and I speak about theory of change and what this means to charities seeking to perhaps deal with the disruption and increased need triggered or exacerbated by the pandemic. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Work for Good. Work for Good believes everyone should be able to turn the work they do into good. Through their fundraising platform, they offer charities a way to engage and work with small businesses, including founders, owners and sole traders who want to make an impact for charities through their sales. To find out more, please visit workforgood.co.uk But without further ado, here is James Noble speaking with me about Theory of Change. So I'm delighted to be joined for this Charity Chat by James Noble, Associate Director of Data and Learning NPC. James, welcome to Charity Chat.
1: Thank you very much.
0: We're here talking today about the theory of change. James, maybe if we can start, I suppose, first of all, by um, talking a little bit about you. What's your background? What are you doing um, at NPC now as part of your kind of day-to-day?
1: Yeah, so I've been uh, working as a social researcher for about 25 years. I started um, initially at Mori back in the day. I used to do opinion polls for Mori. Then I worked in the government's social research Um, division for a few years and joined NPC uh, nine years ago and throughout that time I've been working with charities mostly uh, some social enterprises some funders but mostly charities Mm -hmm. Uh, and to to try and summarize what we do we we help charities to think about what they're trying to achieve uh, and then then help them to think about how they measure or understand or evidence their achievements
0: Right. Okay. And is that something, are you working with charities from across the, across the board in terms of sizes or, or medium or larger charities?
1: Yeah. it's The great thing about uh, NPC is we do get to work with all shapes and sizes of charities, mostly UK, um, uh, some international, but mostly UK, but uh, within the UK, just um, from I'm recently working with, with a couple of uh, major um, well-known charities, Um, uh, but equally with some really small ones, so community-based initiatives, uh, the whole range, really, and from animal pet care through to um, uh, helping people who are leaving prison to helping people who are struggling at school, you know, the whole thing, really.
0: And have you got a a particular interest in charities? I mean, you've been working with them for nine years. Did you have a previous interest and knowledge of the sector before coming into that, or, or have you really kind of learnt that as, as you've been working over the last nine years at NPC,
1: I suppose a little bit of knowledge. Um, I think I've always worked in the sort of uh, in and around the charity sector, and the public mm-hmm. sector, and what you might call the kind of social sector. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, over over all throughout my career, worked a bit with charities, and obviously specialising much more uh, since joining NPC.
0: And uh, and I gather you've you've come across hundreds of of organisations, and uh, and as part of that process. Am I right in saying that you've then developed a kind of theory of change, a, a specifically a 10 steps guide to uh, the theory of change? Is that right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that was published um, a couple of years ago now, and it's it's currently our latest guide to doing a theory of change. NPC um, published its first guide on theory of change over 10 years ago, and it's been fairly influential, I would say, over that time. And I, you could say that NPC has Kind of been at the forefront of promoting the approach to uk charities uh, and the 10-step guide came out about two years ago but i would say that actually that 10-step guide is based on something i wrote uh probably almost 15 years ago so it's been it working around yeah so it's been re- very carefully refined over a long time and and through application uh, 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 lots of different situations so um, and we has been really pleased with how it's gone actually it's it's the most downloaded resource on our website um, and get lots of positive positive feedback about it
0: so so what is uh, the theory of change?
1: theory of change is um, both uh, a, a process uh, for thinking about and describing charitable activities and an output so the process is the kind of conversations you have to figure out what a charity is aiming to achieve and then you produce a theory of change from that which is your output and that is the thing that you can show people and you can tell people about so it's quite important to make that distinction between the process and the output and it's a way for organizations to describe the social purpose of what they're trying to achieve or the or, or, or the ways in which they want to do good in the world
0: and so is it, is it is about them it's the change they want to see is it as, as kind of the output of their their mission or their their vision
1: yeah it's it's two things it's the it's it's being clear about the change you want to see in the world Mm -hmm. and then being clear about how you hope plan um expect if you like to achieve that change or what is your method for achieving that change um and i think one of the reasons it's caught on in the charitable sector so much over the last 20 years or so, to the point now where I think it's fairly common parlance. So people will, most people work in the sector will have some, will have heard of the concept of theory of change, if not, you know, used it for themselves. Um, but it it kind of connects um, the goal that a charity has. So a charity, charities, I think, are fairly good at saying what their goals are. We want to cure this disease. We want to help these people. Uh, um, uh, we want to... Support these people, whatever it is, mm. uh, and they're fairly good at saying, "Well, and we do this: we provide information, we provide services, we campaign, um, whatever it is that they do." And the theory of change process uh, helps people to think, I'd say, fairly um, rationally, fairly systematically about how those two things are connected. Right. So, how what you do is connected to the goal that you want to see. So, it's a, it's kind of a tool; it's a way for organisations and charities to think about. How they connect their activities to the impact that they want to
0: see. That probably sounds very appealing to a lot of charities in terms of a method for ensuring that they're running efficiently, I guess, because if their if their ambition is to do x if that's their their long-term ambition then you know with with resources being tight and increasingly tighter for a lot of charities the um the kind of kind of being as streamlined and focused as possible presumably that's quite a big uh, draw to uh, especially smaller charities potentially um looking at this as a frame of reference
1: well at the end of the day every charity has to prioritize um that every charity has to make tough decisions about what to focus on, where to use their limited resources um, arguably now more so than ever Mm -hmm. Um, and so a theory of change does, it it improves it should improve um, or enable the right decisions, it should improve the the type of decisions that charities make and enable better decisions Um, because through the process the process, through the process you're, you're challenged to to think about well, what is what is the most important thing we're trying to trying to achieve? Um, what are the less important things, or what things are being done, but done by other people? That's quite a key question. Where does your organisation fit uh, alongside all the other organisations that are maybe working towards the same sort of thing? So it asks you, it helps helps you to consider all of these questions, and at the end of it, hopefully, you kind of make the best decision for your organisation.
0: And how does this sit? with or alongside or, or in conflict potentially with uh, organizational strategies is there a is that is it part of an organizational strategy in in some cases or is it instead of how does that work
1: yeah it's that's a good question too and i think that the things are a little bit confused so um i would argue that a theory of change is a good way to do strategy um what what we uh, if you look at the ten steps, um, which is, and if listeners want to just Google NPC ten steps theory of change, you'll find it. Um, we start that process uh, with what we call situation analysis. So we think about uh, the the issue that the that the charity uh, wants to tackle in the world, whatever that is, uh, and we encourage people to almost put us put themselves aside for a moment. Don't think about yourself for a bit. Think about the issue, you know, what causes the issue, who is affected, what are the consequences, um, what are the, the opportunities for change? And then who else is working on it? Who are your kind of um, your supporters, your opponents? Where are the gaps? Where can you make the most difference? And so these are very strategic questions. Mm-hmm. Um, but what Theory of Change is doing is giving you a fairly um, a kind of systematic approach to thinking about those issues And what you work towards through the process is gradually uh, decisions about what we're going to focus on. So once you've decided, okay, this is the part of the problem that we want to tackle, then you can start to think about, well, like what do we as an organisation want to achieve within that context? Uh, And then what are the intermediate outcomes, i.e. the steps towards that goal, and how are we going to achieve them and what does good quality look like? And then what are the risks and the challenges? Those are the 10 steps essentially in summary. Mm -hmm. So it's quite a good way to think about strategy um, because it brings in a quite careful consideration of the outside world and what's going on. Um, but and I think um, there's a kind of an organisation thinking about its strategy um, will deploy theory of change in slightly different ways. Sometimes you can do it at the start. You can say, okay, let's let's just think about the outside world and. Um, where we fit in at the beginning and then develop our strategy out of that. I've seen other organisations who who sketch out a broad strategy. Uh, In fact, I'm working with a charity right now uh, which does uh, pet care. Uh, Basically, their their, their mission is to support the welfare of pets. Mm -hmm. Um, And we came into that organisation. They'd already had a broad strategy sketched out, Um, but it was very high level. Uh, And what we were able to do is to take... The, the broad goals in that strategy, and actually use theory of change to um, to um, make uh, b- bring it to life, and, and provide the detail and the, the the necessary depth needed to make it actually work. Because I think a lot of strategies in the charity sector are still still remain at that quite sort of broad, high level. Okay, we want to achieve this, and with theory of change, you're asking how. So, hmm, short short answer to that question is that there is a, a very close and sometimes quite complicated relationship between the two, yeah. a that a theory of change exercise is is always going to be, it's always going to improve your strategy.
0: And is there any sense of how often a theory of change exercise should be run? Presumably it will be a case by case scenario, I suppose, based on the, the cause of the charity and the size of the charity. And does it work as a kind of, you know, we right, we need to do this every three years to make sure that we are, Keeping on track?
1: There's no um, straight answer to that question. As you say, it d- d- does depend on who you are. So a small charity that does the same thing and has been doing the same thing for a long time, you might argue that they really probably only want to do a theory of change fairly infrequently, like maybe every five, ten years or something like that. It's uh, still valuable, but once you've got it and you, you, you and you continue to do the same thing and it's working for you. So I'm thinking here about maybe a charity that does mentoring of people outside who are leaving prison.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, you know, That's that's a fairly established model. Uh, I mean, you want to think about what you're trying to achieve and how you support your volunteers to do that, but it's not going to change all that much over the years. Um, conversely, a charity that is campaigning uh, for a particular bit of legislation or something... Uh, I was talking yesterday to a charity who uh, is interested in the, the legislation around assisted dying, mm. uh, and that is a very live debate. And uh, this charity is obviously su- su- supports a change in the law to enable assisted dying, um, and they have to look at their theory of change, or they should look at their theory of change, very often because the context is constantly changing. Uh, you know, politicians will change their perspectives, new people will come on board mm-hmm. um, so you constantly need to look at it, so it's very different um, and I think also another, another variable here is the size of the organisation, so uh, a charity supporting people leaving prison pretty much does one or two things so they don't have to think all that often about what they're trying to achieve. A huge National charity, uh, and we've recently been working with one that supports people with hearing loss. And uh, they do loads of different things. They support people with hearing loss into employment. Uh, They they lobby the NHS. They uh, lobby or try to influence society. They provide services and information and support. They do all these things. So they'll probably need to look at their theory of change on a more regular basis to make sure that those things that they've decided to do are the right things given the context. Um, so, as a for any law, any any decent sized charity, we would say you'd need to once you've got a theory of change, definitely look at it once a year and maybe um, sort of have a refresh of it uh, every sort of two or three years. And, and just one more thing to say on this is that uh, if you, if I go back to the point that, that the theory of change describes what you want to achieve and how you want to achieve it. Um, the description of what you want to achieve, to achieve has more longevity, right? right? So if you're trying to support people with a particular disease, if you're trying to cure a disease, or you're trying to influence the NHS, that that has longevity. You don't, you're not going to change those objectives as often as you change your tactics to achieve them. So the theory of change is almost in two parts, and and the. The, the part that you want to look at more regularly is what your actions are what are your activities how are you achieving these goals the other side of it is more, more enduring
0: in, in terms of how a charity goes about initiating a theory of change is it is it a kind of a, a best done as a consultation with all key stakeholders or is it just an internal consultation or is it just the the ceo or the the management committee kind of coming up with this how it is there a, is there a kind of a, a way of making it work most effectively
1: yeah another great question and um again no no single answer we would okay well actually we can be clear on this that the better theory of change exercises have more consultation right so the more you consult the better your theory of change is going to be. And crucially, the more people are going to be bought into it. Because one of the key benefits of the theory of change for a large organisation in particular is to have a statement about what the organisation is trying to achieve, often on one page, or a summary of it on one page. And if people have felt that they've contributed to this, that their voices have been heard, they're going to uh, use it, they're going to buy into it much more. Uh, so that's one argument. Another argument is that, obviously, the more people you consult, the better it's going to be. The more opinions you're going to have, the more higher quality it will be. So um, that's important. And then, and then obviously, at this day and age, uh, there was a huge enthusiasm, quite rightly, for, for, for consulting users, for getting people's voice heard. Uh, and so Theory of Change is an opportunity uh, uh, for that, for you, for an organisation to do that. It's, it's a way to go about it. Um, so that's I think that's... Um, recommendation to consult as many people as possible. But there are situations where uh, you, you, you may not feel you need to do that, uh, or you want to do something quicker. You might feel that um, you've done a lot of consultation already. We often work with organizations who've just been through, a, say, a strategy process, or they've mm-hmm. done a lot of consultation, and they feel that they've got enough knowledge in-house to actually to produce a theory of change. Um, And then again, sometimes you work with organizations who've been delivering a service for a long time. Uh, They kind of know what works and what their service users think, they've got feedback. Um, And we call those sort of more descriptive theories of change. So we're working with organizations to basically describe the service that they're providing in contrast to what we call more more developmental theories of change, where there is genuinely a blank sheet of paper. And people are actually interested in in perhaps redesigning the service or changing the service. And in that situation, you might want to do more consultation than less. Um, so you can do a theory of change without any consultation. I can sit with uh, the, a manager of a service, and we can do a theory of change. And sometimes that's sometimes that's helpful. Sometimes that's all you need. Um, uh, but if you if you're if you're serious about the exercise, you want to challenge yourself. You want to perhaps. Think differently about your services. Then the more consultation, the better.
0: Do you see theory of change being used by organisations to inform funders as kind of impact reporting, um, and and also kind of engaging with beneficiary groups, and 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 actually being used in the um, kind of co-production of projects, for example, is that, is it used in those two ways?
1: Yeah, it is. And we talk about there being four benefits or four reasons, four main reasons for doing a theory of change. One is uh, to think hard about uh, your service, what it's for, how it's designed. And this is, this is what I've discussed already, but it's about, it's a, it's a service design tool in a way, or a, or a campaign design tool. Uh, a systematic way to think about that um the second is around team building um so bringing people together to get some consensus and cons- com- common understanding about what your organization is trying to achieve and that can be very valuable as a process itself uh, and then um there is uh, a benefit the third benefit is around uh impact measurement so e- equipping you or or uh, equipping organisations to think about what data they need to collect in order to evidence or demonstrate their success or to and to learn how to, to improve their service. Uh, and then the fourth area is around communications. So if you've got a theory of change, um, that um, is a good way to, to engage stakeholders, including funders, uh, to show them um, to, quite quickly, quite succinctly what you're trying to achieve and also to demonstrate to them that you've thought things through, that there is a rigour to your thinking, that it's not just good intentions, there is a sort of systematic process that you've been through. It's something that funders definitely like to see, it has good currency Mm. with funders. Uh, And we do, I guess this isn't great, but sometimes we get organisations coming to us and saying this funder has asked us to do a theory of change, so how do we go about it? and that's you know that's okay, but we kind of hope that organisations do it because they see the value rather than because they feel the funder uh, wants them to do it. Um, and, and our and our belief uh, is that through theories of change, uh, charities and funders can have um, better conversations, more more or more um, informed conversations about what what it is that the two organisations want. Uh, and so it's one of those. It's it's a way to have more clarity between those two organizations. Mm. Uh, And then to your point about um, co-design, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, that's quite ambitious, I would say, if you're doing a theory of change exercise. um, It it is quite ambitious to bring in, say, service users uh, as part of that process, and you need to do some careful thinking about how that's going to work. You can't just put service users into... a uh, 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 kind of meeting with service managers and hope that they're going to come up with something they need, you need to think about it quite carefully mm. but again it's one of the sort of great aspects great of the tool is its flexibility you can you can there's no one way to to use a theory of change it, it comes down to what your situation is and you um, what you're trying to achieve from the exercise and to some extent your skills and experience in doing it as well. And you can deploy it in lots of different scenarios and and achieve different things.
0: So I guess where we are with the pandemic, I mean, there's, there's no end date for the pandemic. We're two years in. Um, and obviously, there's, there's been a lot of uh, reporting regarding the challenges that charities are facing, and and uh, you know from from reductions in um, funding to increases in demand for services. So th- there's a there's a kind of a lot of pressure on the sector, I suppose, as a whole, and on organisations as a whole. Am I right in thinking then, from what you've said, the theory of change really the benefits for organisations to consider this now is it, it can. It could potentially help galvanize their potentially tired out team. And I think, you know, a lot of people listening to this probably count themselves as a bit tired out. And that's one potential benefit that internally, it could be kind of like rejuvenating the enthusiasm, the passion for the cause and and understanding maybe more clearly where the organization is now aiming to get to Um, a kind of an engine room, I suppose, for the, the strategizing of the organization and the, the, Behaviors of the team, even, and then also on the other side of the, you know, with uh, we've done a little bit of kind of a few conversations with different um, kind of experts in, and uh, people with expertise in fundraising specifically, and about the increased kind of interest that funders are taking in how organisations are positioned within a group of organisations on a specific cause and how they're working more effectively on, you know, with others. Um, and, and that's kind of scrutiny as well, I suppose, that potentially is, is coming in more and more from, from certain funders. So for them, this kind of theory of change can answer that too, from the sounds of it, with, you know, kind of a clear understanding from the funder of what the organization's aiming to achieve and how their funding is a piece of that puzzle that's taking them into that destination. Is that a good way of kind of summarizing two of the key benefits for organizations the theory of change right now. Yeah, I think you've hit on a
1: couple of interesting things there. Um, I, just thinking back to the start of the p- pandemic, which is now pretty much two years to the day, I think, um, since lockdown started. Um, and I, I, in the first few months, uh, people at MPC were going, "Well, you know, no one's going to want to do theories of change right now. It seems a bit sort of um, introspective and, and uh, a use of, not the best use of time given the crisis that's taking place." Um, which upset me at the time, because I I, I kind of could see, you know, I'm, I'm a keen advocate of the, the approach, and I, I, I disagree. I, and, and I think what we saw, actually, during the course of the pandemic, was the, the value of it, uh, because organisations were looking at um, the, the situation and thinking, well, we've still got the same goals for our service users, we still want to achieve the same stuff, but the context has completely changed. We can't talk to them face-to-face. Everyone's worried about catching the, the COVID. Mm. Uh, people are isolated. People, children aren't at school. Everything was up in the air and changed. And actually, the, the theory of change approach, if you used it well, could equip you to 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 pivot to make those changes uh, that you needed to make. So you've got you've got this is what we, this is what we want to achieve, but you know, but the, the world has changed. Um, and here's a process to help you think about how you might differently approach your goals. Uh, to achieve those things. So, um, again, it speaks to the, the flexibility of the approach. Um, and it can be galvanising, right? It certainly, we certainly, when we facilitate a theory of change process, we try to make it as engaging and interesting as possible. And I think usually we succeed. We, 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 uh, because we're asking people to talk about their work and what they're passionate about uh, in an organised way, uh, but people like to do that, so it is good. Uh, mm-hmm. And at the end of it, you get something which is, um, you know, which should reflect and support and promote people's work. So that's good too. I think at times uh, the process can go a, a bit awry. Uh, and and the cause, of, and, and so some people listening might be thinking to themselves, well, I went through a theory of change process a couple of years ago and actually it was a bit of a mess and it was a bit confusing. That can happen. Uh, oh. And the cause of it is because um, mm-hmm. of complexity. Um, the world is hugely complex and trying to actually chart your way through that is a bit of a minefield and you can end up in situations where you don't know what you're talking about anymore and you, <laughs> you go around you in circles tied up yeah yeah and you're trying to put bo- you're trying to move boxes around and and with that and so if you if you look at what a theory of change output looks like if you google theory of change and then just press images mm-hmm. you'll see loads of different sometimes quite complex diagrams so we try to avoid those if possible but um i think what i'm saying is that there are pitfalls um that to avoid um it should be galvanizing but the, you know there's a risk here our vision, our hope, is that um, a good theory of change, as I said, can um, lead to a good conversation between a funder and a charity because there's clarity about what the charity is proposing to do and the funder can question that and maybe even encourage them to go in a slightly different direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, So that's clarity and the funder can see, okay, they have thought this through, their plans are robust, I ha- you know, increases my confidence in this organization. And again, ideally a charity as part of their theory of change process will situate themselves within a sector. So they'll they'll see that they're part of a system and they'll say actually we're not going to do this because this organization is going to do this. That's covered well enough and that's not really our specialism. What we want to do is this. So there's all sorts of ways in which the theory of change thinking can support um that that dynamic between funders and charities and, and improved decisions now but again as i was just saying there is a sort of that's the ideal but there are times when it doesn't go to plan uh, and you and it, you sometimes see charities producing theories of change in order to to, to impress a funder um, and there's a sort of slight copy and paste mentality that can come in you know we, we're going to put this in our theory of change because we think the funder wants to see it mm. uh, or that, that or that this is what a theory of change should look like and therefore we're just going to mimic this uh, and it and there is a risk of a kind of industry of producing these theories of change that we're quite conscious of and alive to and want to avoid and, and there's equally a risk of funders demanding it uh, from mm. organizations that don't really know how to do it and perhaps will do um, you know, or, or not get the most on the exercise. So there is this other side to it, which we have to be careful about. You know, it, we, we want it to be a, a galvanizing, interesting, productive exercise, rather than something you, you sort of tick a box and then send off to the funder and hope for the best.
0: Are there ways that charities can avoid those pitfalls then? I mean, is, is it something that um, they can come to NPC or other kind of experts that can help guide them through that process?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We can do it, but there's a whole bunch of people out there who are experienced theory of change practitioners. Um, I should say that the 10-step guide, which is free, by the way, it was designed to help people who are coming to this for the first time and perhaps for those who, more for whom are working on simpler project services, um, because we felt there was a gap. A lot of the guidance out there it is quite difficult to use. It, it sort of assumes... Uh, that you've got some existing knowledge and that it assumes that you're working on quite complex social issues. And we felt there was just something uh, that uh, something a bit more prescriptive would help Mm. people. I think think that's been proven right, Uh, but it's good to have something a bit simpler. Yeah, how to avoid the pitfalls. So you you can bring in people. uh, That would cost money. It's quite a good idea if you're tackling something quite challenging, something quite big, something quite ambitious, then having some expertise is not a bad idea. And equally... It's not a bad idea if you're doing this genuinely for the first time, and you and you're really kind of daunted by it. Mm. Um, and a couple of days of, of, of someone's time can help. Um, and I think that's one way to avoid a pitfall. Another is to like it's how genuinely you engage with the process. If you if you're doing it as a tick box exercise and to to to, to get it out of the way because someone's asked you, then then fine. Uh, but you know, be, be honest with yourself. You're not going to get the benefits out of it. That's uh, you will if you do it in a sort of sincere or, or, or a more you know, uh, more comprehensive way. And then I think just being mindful of that issue of complexity, because that's where people get stuck, is trying to cram too much on there. Uh, and, and one of our key pieces of advice is to try and keep it as simple as possible, but no simpler, uh, which is, a, I think it's Einstein quote, isn't it? And, and if things get too complex, break it up. Don't try and do everything at once. Uh, figure out what are the different chunks. Uh, so in terms of the organisation that I talked about earlier on hearing loss, one of the first things we did was to figure out what the different chunks of the organisation were, what are the different parts of the organisation, and look at them separately. And that's a very helpful way to avoid uh, the complexity. It might be if you're a large organisation, you need three or four theories of change to reflect the different things that you do. So these are sorts of the sorts of skills that you do learn uh, once you've done a few few. Um, but there's no reason why organizations can't uh, embark on this process using a guide like the 10 steps or something similar. Give it a go, uh, see how it works for you, and you will learn as you, as, you, as you progress.
0: What would be your ideal scenario for the sector when it comes to the, the theory of change? Would, you know, 10 years' time, every charity is using this, would that work? Do you think, would there be a, would you hope that there would be a, a kind of seismic improvement in how the sector is doing generally and, and specific charities are doing? Well, and that's in asking
1: this question, I want to, like, there, there are critics of theories of change out there. And, and, and I think the key criticism is that we have created an industry in which a lot of time and resource is now going on... Uh, uh, sort of introspection and the production of diagrams, which perhaps aren't used all the time, and that this is the um, this is what we want to avoid. Uh, but it's out there that criticism, and I think there's some truth in it. Um, so when I think, in, in, uh, if, if I was to sort of give you my vision for, se- for the sector, it wouldn't be uh, millions of theories of change and loads of time spent on theories of change. Really, uh, the, the approach is. Less important itself than the the idea behind it, which is that charities should spend some time thinking carefully about what they're trying to achieve, defining what they're trying to achieve, and thinking carefully about how they're going to do it. Theory of change is simply our method for helping charities to do that thinking, and there are other approaches, other ways to do it. You don't have to call it a theory of change. So so. The, the my ideal is that in 10 years' time, that is routine, that process of thinking carefully about what you're trying to achieve, and that the, the sector is skilled at doing that. And I think theory of change has become quite routine, which is great, as long as it's done properly, uh, but there's still quite a lot for the sector to learn, uh, and particularly around avoiding those pitfalls and, and appreciating what the benefits are and working towards those benefits rather than just doing it for the sake of it because you feel you have to do it or because everyone else is doing it, but actually understanding why and and designing processes that that's, that suit and will achieve those goals. So short answer is, yeah, I want people to do the thinking. I don't care if it's whether they'd use a theory of change approach or not. Ultimately, it doesn't matter.
0: James Noble, thank you for contributing to Charity Chats.
1: Thank you so much. I love to talk about theory of change, so this has been great. <laughs>
0: big thank you there to James Noble for joining us for Charity Chat. James spoke about the 10-step guide to a theory of change based on something that he originally scribed over 15 years ago and is the most downloaded resource on the NPC website. The link is on our website. The frequency for those thinking about running a theory of change will depend on the size and mission of their charity. Every five years might be right for those charities whose work is not changing very much, but as James said, perhaps a charity who is involved in campaigning may need to look at their theory of change very often because the context of their work might be constantly changing. Introspection, awareness and thoughtfulness are virtues that seem to be at the heart of good organisational decision-making for charities being clear about the change that they want to see in the world and then how they are seeking to achieve that change demonstrates a clarity in thinking that can only help to galvanise people both internally and externally, whether that's staff, volunteers, funders or even the government. James made the point that every charity needs to think about how to use their limited resources and the theory of change sets out to help charities make better decisions and better use of their precious resources to fulfil their mission. For charities stepping back and looking at the world around them, the opportunities, the challenges and how to face them, a theory of change might be the equivalent of checking the map to see that your organisation is on the right track. Team building is a potential benefit, galvanising your weary colleagues, reminding them and maybe yourself too why the hard slog is necessary and worthwhile. This process could potentially reduce the work stress on your colleagues if it leads to a clearer, more efficient way of working. And maybe this process could help to later engage funders and other key stakeholders to make life easier, but also to make the impact your organisation is seeking easier too. So thank you, dear listener, for getting this far with us. We hope you enjoyed this episode and continue to enjoy the podcast. We'd love to hear from you either way. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Work For Good. Work For Good believes everyone should be able to turn the work they do into good. Through their fundraising platform, they offer charities a way to engage and work with small businesses, including founders, owners and sole traders who want to make an impact for charities through their sales. To find out more, please visit workforgood.co.uk. Giant Squid Audio Lab We'd like to thank you too for sponsoring our podcast kit. Magda Aksumit for our beautiful website. Check it out at charitychat.org.uk and of Fools for playing throughout the show and for playing us out right now. That's it from me. Keep on doing what you can. I'll speak to you soon. Cheerio. Bye-bye.